Welcome to this week's podcast. My guest on Facing the Canon is Andy Bannister, the author of The Atheist Who Didn't Exist. Andy Bannister, welcome to Facing the Canon. John, it's great to be with you, thank you. Lovely to have you. How would you describe yourself, Andy? Well, I guess the first one I go for would be an evangelist, um, because I'm, I think I love doing most, John, is telling people about Jesus. But also, I suppose the other side of being a quipper, there's two things that I love doing. For, for mainly is communicating the hope in Christ to those who don't know that. But also, I get excited about equipping Christians to do that as well. But yeah, evangelist would be the first thing I think I would go for. And I, I'm the same too. Evangelist and then equip the church. Interesting, there Definitely. you Definitely. Now, you're the director of SOLAS. What is that? Do you know, it's great, because when people first hear that, John, many of them think it's an acronym. <laughs> yes. And if you Google SOLAS, the first thing you'll find is safety of life at sea. That is not us. Um, if you are drowning, don't call us, call the other guys. Um, SOLAS is a, is a Scottish... Although that's pretty good though, isn't it? <laughs> it is, there is a, there, there is a <laughs> link know, there. We're, we're all like I drowning. But I know, but anyway, still, if you still... fall out of the water, yes. yeah, call those guys. Um, SOLAS, uh, we are a Scottish-based evangelism and training ministry. And SOLAS is, a, is actually a Gaelic word, a Scots... Uh, word, which I will be pronouncing terribly badly, being an Englishman, and, and heaven help you too. Um, in fact, wherever I go in Scotland and pronounce the word and introduce the ministry, some dear old lady, John, always comes up to me and tells me I pronounced it wrong, corrects me. Next place, I use the correction, and another dear old lady um, yes. comes to the opposite. So last is the Scottish word meaning light. So we love the, the image of the light of the gospel. And of course, if you know your church history, you've got the five solas of the Reformation, particularly sola scriptura by, you know, by the Bible alone, but sola fide is by faith alone. Now, even as a young man, you're yes. going... I still am, thank you. But you yeah. still are. You look, yeah, you look young. <laughs> but as a young man, you would go to Hyde Park, you would go to Speaker's Corner. What drew you there and what did you engage with? Well, the funny thing is, uh, yeah, Speaker's Corner is where a lot of you know, this route into ministry began, John. But I never really thought much about public evangelism. Um, in the late 1990s, I was a youth worker working for a group of churches uh, in, uh, in South London and hadn't really done much other than that. And then one day, a guy came to our church and did a seminar on reaching Muslims. His name was Jay Smith. If you know Jay or folks who haven't come across Jay, Google him. Um, quite a very bold evangelist. And he described in this seminar how every Sunday he was at Speaker's Corner uh, preaching to Muslims there on the street. And we got chatting afterwards and uh, he said, well, Andy, why don't you come and see what we do? And uh, he described, you know, how you get on a, on a ladder and preach to the crowds and so forth. So I thought, well, this sounds very interesting. Following week, I went up to London, met Jay at Marble Arch Tube Station. He had two ladders with him. I was like, Jay, why have you got, why have you got two ladders? Well, he said, I'm going to preach on one, you're going to preach on the other. I went, mate, I've never preached on the street before, never talked to a Muslim before. Oh, it's easy and they're easy. John, this was the understatement of the year. Of course. Because I got on that ladder, I was destroyed. <laughs> I remember getting down from that ladder thinking, perhaps I need to become a Muslim, because they seem to have all the answers. I have literally nothing. Um, and I remember sort of worrying about this on the train home. I lay awake that night, tossing and turning. About three in the morning, my long-suffering wife, Astrid, poked me in the ribs. You know, why are you tossing and turning? She said, keeping us both awake. Told her the story, and her sage words were, why don't you read a book? Ideally in the morning, not at 3 a.m. Sure. So following morning, went to the Christian bookstore, told them my story, and they said, what you need is apologetics. And they sold me, I think, a book by C.S. Lewis was where it all started. And I spent the next two weeks reading, went back to Speaker's Corner two weeks later with answers to every question they had from two weeks before. And alas, they had new questions, and I looked stupid all over again. But that process that I think God had started of going to Speaker's Corner on the weekends, using the weeks to prepare and go over what had happened and pray and so forth, 
I fell in love actually with sharing my faith on the street and in public, especially with Muslims. I fell in love with the public proclamation of the faith and also persuasive evangelism, what is sometimes called apologetics, but, but giving reasons for the hope that we have. And God light, sort of lit a spark there that is still burning to this day. Yeah, absolutely. And one of, one of your books, um, which I found very uh, intriguing and interesting, and I love the title, The Atheist Who Didn't Exist. <laughs> How did you come up with that title? Well, the funny thing, John, is that actually the title was actually going to be Why Sweden Doesn't Exist, Another yes. Curious Problem for Atheism. And my, my longer-suffering editor at Lion Books said, that is too surreal, and they came up with that. So it's great as an author, yeah. I can go, I think it's a brilliant title, because I didn't come up with it. What that book, though, did do was kicking off in about 2006. There was a whole spate of um, books by atheists, now known as the New Atheism, yes. emerged. We had Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, a few others. Really angry men, mainly men, um, and but I noticed their books were selling millions of copies and they were, they were popping up everywhere. Christians were writing kind of learned responses, but those learned responses, were not, I was finding they weren't really landing, they weren't engaging people, because Dawkins can write, the dude can really write well, he can spin a paragraph. So I thought, well, I wonder if, you know, like you, I use humour when I speak, I wonder what would happen if one tried to do a funny response. And that's what that book tries to do, it tries to blend humour with very serious material as well, because my thought is if I can get my atheist friends laughing, then maybe as they laugh, you can get truth in as, as their defences are down. And that's what that book aims to. And I've been hugely encouraged, actually. I mean, just the other week, I got, a month I got an email from somebody saying, story was that they were on holiday with their, uh, their family, family sort of reunion. Their sister was a very committed atheist, and they'd be, he didn't be able to make any progress with her over the years. But he had that book with him, and his sister said, oh, what's that book? And he described it. She picked it up, read the first few pages, and started chuckling. And then she went off with it. He said she nicked the book. And she read it solidly in 48 hours and, and kept quoting bits. And he said, what that book has done, praise the Lord, is that it's opened a door. He said, the door is open a chink now. There's now a, a chink that we can now talk about faith. Wonderful. And that's what that book was yeah, designed to do. So encouraging. So the new atheists, they, they weren't really new. Not they, really. No. So what were the new atheists saying? What are they trying to communicate? Yeah, you're absolutely right. If you look at the, the, the arguments that were put forward by the likes of Dawkins and others, it's old material. And Christians have, have been answering this for years because the great thing about the Christian faith, as you well know, is that Christians have always engaged with our critics and those who question us ever since the beginning. What I think the new atheism did, it packaged it really well. Um, and then it added a, a, a kind of righteous anger behind it. And I think the shift was that whereas perhaps an older generation of atheists might have said, look, I don't agree with the Christian faith. I think it's wrong. It's not true. The modern generation of atheists pitched into faith is bad. Faith causes damage. Um, Dawkins famously said, you know, 9-11 radicalised me, he said. So I think with the likes of 9-11 and other religiously inspired violence around the world, the new atheism came along, lumped everything together and said religion causes evil. And that kind of real anger and vitriol um, that was in there, that was, what was, that was what was different. Okay, and that leads us on then. How do we know that Jesus Christ is the one? How do we know he's the way, the truth and the life? Brilliant, absolutely brilliant question. Of course, as somebody, as you know, I've been engaging with Muslims for a huge amount of time, so that question comes up straight away. Well, the first thing I'd say is the very way, the very way that you phrase that, John, you know, that, that question you asked, the way, the truth and the life, those are, of course, words from Jesus 
himself. You're quoting the words of Jesus from John's Gospel, chapter 14, which is interesting straight away because sometimes if you get, I, I get pushback from people saying, you know, you Christians are so exclusive that you believe it's Jesus only. I often say, well, you know, this is something Jesus said. This isn't something Christians have made up. Really, we're just quoting the words of the master, is the first thing. Second thing I would say is, when you look at the claims that Jesus made for himself, nobody else made claims like that. So my area of academic expertise is Islam. I've been studying Islam for 25 years. My doctorate is actually in Islam because I just kept going from Speaker's Corner and didn't stop. You know, Muhammad said some interesting things, but nothing remotely like Jesus. He didn't claim to be the way, the truth, and life. He didn't claim to be equal with God. He didn't claim to be able to forgive sin. He didn't, be able to, he didn't claim to be able to command the wind and the waves and so on. Neither did the Buddha or so forth or any religious leader, actually. Jesus makes these claims that stand head and shoulders of everybody else. So one of the first things I often say to my skeptical friends is, well, who else do you want to bring to the table? Because sometimes I think people assume that all religious leaders said essentially the same things. And that really forces you, the more you look at what Jesus said and did, to that sort of dilemma that C.S. Lewis famously set out. Well, we're now either dealing with somebody who was a liar, we're either dealing with somebody who was deceived or de quite frankly delusional, or we have to face the reality that those claims actually stand up. And given that the person who said these things then rose from the grave three days after dying on a, on a Roman cross, that sort of gives incredible credibility to those claims that he made. People who rise from the dead in my book have fairly high credibility. So obviously you're convinced by the evidence for the resurrection. Overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly. I have to say, one of the things I love speaking at the most on at universities, and I do like you, do a lot of you know university work, is the resurrection. So I remember just before COVID hit, if you can remember those yes. BC times before before COVID. So I think it was autumn 2019. I uh, I'd been asked to do a, a debate at St Andrews University. I don't often do debates because I think sometimes they generate more heat than light. But they wanted it on the resurrection, so I thought, well, that's a topic I will do. What was interesting, they really struggled. The atheist society struggled to find a speaker for the other side because actually that's not the easiest topic to, 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 to defend as an atheist. But they found this guy from the South Coast. And uh, I came out, I did my opening statement, kind of laid out you know, some of the historical evidence for the resurrection. Largely what was interesting, quoting not Christian scholars, I quoted secular scholars. And that was really interesting in the rebuttal. This atheist guy complained. He went, well, you didn't quote a single Christian. I went, well, no, I quoted atheists and Jews and sort of you know agnostic folks. What was interesting at the end was I had conversations with several students who'd come. It was a packed lecture hall, but I had several students I spoke to afterwards who were atheists. And when I, you know, said, "Well, how did you think the event went?" You know, almost, you know, the, the message back almost unanimously was, "We didn't know the evidence was so good for the resurrection." In fact, one student I was talking to, I said, "Oh, why did you come to the event?" He went, "Well, I had nothing to do this evening. I was literally walking past the lecture hall and I saw this line of people wanting to go in. I wondered what was on. I thought it might be a comedian or a musician or something. Turned out it was a debate. He said, I sat and listened. I said, what did you think? He said, I think he did really well. I said, what do you think the other guy did? He went, oh, well, I know I really should be rooting for him, but I thought that wasn't so good. So I went, well, so unpack that a bit. He went, well, I had no idea that Christians had evidence. I thought you just believe because you believed. He said, it was actually quite... It's quite shaken me, yeah. actually. It's quite compelling. It is. So and I, I it's substantial so, as well. It is. And I said, so I said, what are you going to do next? He, I, I, I said, he said, I don't know. I said, well, over there, they're taking sign-ups for the Christianity Explored course. I think there's like free pizza, actually. Why don't you go? And he went and signed himself up. Now, that wasn't 
you know, my clever words, I think it's, as you say, the evidence for the resurrection yeah. is really compelling. Yeah. Isn't it interesting, Andy, that even if someone who is on the journey of faith agrees with the statement, Christianity is true, it still doesn't motivate them always to say, yes, I'll follow it. Mm -hmm. And then they they come up with other objections. Yes. Oh, and sometimes the objections could be, you know, serious or they could be diversions. And one of those objections frequently is, how can you believe in a God of love if there's so much suffering in the world? Yes. Firstly, as I think to point out, everybody has a problem with suffering. But suffering is not just a problem for Christians. If you're an atheist, the problem is naming it. You know, on atheism, what is wrong with what Putin's doing in Ukraine? We're all just atoms and particles. He's just rearranging some in ways that are more convenient to him. What is actually wrong? And often if you ask people that, of course, they'll, they'll leap, these days they leap to human rights is often where they'll go and go, well, he's, you know, he's, he's a, this is a grievous you know, attack on human rights and dignity and go, well, where are these things located? Because as a Christian, I have an answer to that. Genesis 1, I made an image of God. So that's where I, that's my first step. Then I think I would come into going, well, you know, if we were talking about a God who had just sat up there in heaven and done nothing about the problem of evil, we'd be looking at things quite differently. But however we think about this as Christians, we have to look at it through the lens of a God who stepped into this world of evil and pain and actually done something about it. Because most of us, when we see evil and suffering, don't want a clever philosophical answer. I mean, I, we could give that. I'm a studied philosophy for years, like you probably have too. We can give long book-like answers. I think what most people want is something done about suffering and evil and injustice. And of course, that's what God has, has done uniquely in Christianity. So that's how I'd begin my answer. I'd say a lot more than that, but this is a, of course. a short thing. So, but before you leap in as a Christian, I think it's important that you, your skeptical friend realizes they have some work to do too. Um, yes, and we as Christians, as you said, we have Jesus, who went to the cross, yes. suffered, understands about suffering, but raises the question, well, why? Why did Jesus actually have to die? Yeah, great question, right? And to go, the first thing, of course, we can, I would say straight away to folks on that is going, there clearly has to be a really good reason because if Jesus simply died because, he, because God, God wanted to show he loves us, that's actually seriously messed up. You know, if I, uh, if I throw myself in front of a bus on Valentine's Day and leave my wife a note saying, look how much I love you, I think her response with the grief would have been, next time like a box of chocolates would have been fine. You know, you don't just randomly give your life away. So the very fact that that is the only thing that was possible to, to achieve our sure. salvation, I think to me tells us how great the, the problem was, is the first thing. Secondly, of course, is if you unpack the, the scriptures, and one of the greatest privileges, I think, is sitting down with someone who's searching and go through this, uh, to be able to take the time to read the Bible with them, is that you know, the Bible, time and time again, doesn't run away, does it, from diagnosing the issue, that sin is a real thing. It is a real issue that has really separated us from God, and something needs to be done to deal uh, with that. And we've really forced with a with two possibilities here, aren't we? We either stand before God and go, well, we're going to deal with our brokenness and our mess up and our scrubs and our own, bring it on, which is a terrifying position to be in standing before the God of the universe. Or we have in the person Jesus, somebody, the only sinless one, who is willing to say, well, I'll take that burden on for you. And interesting of Muslims, John, where I'll often go, Muslims often struggle with this. The Quran in Surah 17 verse 15 says, no bearer of burdens can bear the burden of another. And Muslims often throw that at you, so, well, you know, 
someone can't die for the sin of another. And I'll often say, well, read that verse in the Quran carefully. It says, no bearer of burdens can bear the burden of another. Jesus is the one who is sinless. Yes. He bears no burden of his own. He's the only human being who's ever done that because he's both God and, and man. And so there, I, it's interesting, even in the heart of the Muslim scripture is this little clue to the gospel. And a lot of Muslims say, you know, what do you think about the idea that actually God might have known that you couldn't carry that burden yourself and sent Jesus to carry it for you? Yes, hugely powerful. So when we say, Andy, a Christian, becoming a Christian, what do we mean? Do you know, that's such an important question because I think in sometimes in the church, we've sold that cheap, if I'm honest. You know, we've sort of given people the impression that, it, you know, you sort of pray the magic prayer and then you get the kind of golden ticket to heaven, a bit like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory ticket. Yes. And sort of nothing happens between those two things. If I, could, I actually can remember, I think one of the earliest real struggles in my Christian faith, around about the age of 16 or 17, was exactly that, thinking, well, surely the best thing to do for me now is die and go and be with Jesus. I give my life to him, I've got the golden ticket, I know I'm gonna be with Jesus. Why do I wanna hang around for 70 years? And it was thankfully older and wiser Christians who introduced the holiday of discipleship. So I think becoming a Christian now, I would explain it to somebody a little bit more richly and say, quite simply, it's about the Lordship of Christ. That's how the Bible defines it. It's saying Jesus is Lord and I'm not. It's surrendering everything. So that means laying down our lives, giving it to Christ, saying you are now, you are now the center, I am not the center. Would you please come in, deal with that sin? Yes, but make me yours rather than my own. And then a whole series of things, of course, follow from that. Because at that point, as a follower of Jesus, you're living life in the light of you are his, not your own. So it's, it's a surrender, it's a lordship. So, okay, you surrender, but how do you know that you've become a child of God? Oh, good question. Yeah, absolutely. Well, firstly, of course, I'd say we have the promises in scripture. If you, if you surrender, if you make that surrender, if you repent and believe and trust in Christ, you know, we have that promise in scripture that you are God. So that's a great place to begin. I wouldn't begin with things like emotions, because of course, if you're having an emotionally bad day, um, you know, your faith can be all over the place. So begin on the promise that's there. In fact, you know, Romans 5 verse 8 is one of my favorite texts as an evangelist. If you want to know that God loves you, you know, look at what he's done in Christ. Christ has died for you. And if you surrender to him, you stand on that promise. Secondly, I would say you would then expect to see some inward changes. Um, you know, becoming a Christian is not a workspace thing. We know that. It's not about what you do, but it should change what you do. And so a good sign, I think, that you are now a Christian, having you know, responded to that invitation in Christ, is you see that desire to spend time with God. You see that desire to begin praying. You see that desire to begin digging into the scriptures. You see that desire to be with other Christians. And then the, the third thing, I think, is you begin to see that change in your life and your character as the Holy Spirit works things out. Again, it doesn't mean it all happen overnight. Um, you know, some of us have an awful lot of baggage uh, to deal with. You know, I think in, you know, I sort of often think in terms of, um, you know, the illustration sort of home renovation, really, you know, if you buy an old wreck, it's going to be quite a lot of work. Some walls might need knocking down and occasionally the Holy Spirit has to do that in some of us. Some of us need just more of a paint job. Um, but, you know, but I think that sense of, you know, seeing that there's a cat, some character change and transformation happening. There. And that is also, we were talking before the show about this, that's also why God puts us into community with other Christians, because we can't always judge that for ourselves. And I think it's hugely important we have other brothers and sisters in Christ around us who can encourage us and challenge us actually, but also encourage us and say, hey, isn't it amazing what God is doing in you? Andy, what would you say to any of our viewers who are not yet followers of Jesus and they've got lots of questions 
but they kind of got questions, but they'd like to follow Jesus. What would you say to them? Yeah, well, the first thing I would say, I'd say a couple of things to you, first of all. First thing I would say is don't let those questions keep you back from following Christ. I mean, if it's a real showstopper question, if you if you can't believe that Jesus rose from the grave, you need to deal with that question. But if it's a lower order question, we talked about the question of suffering and, and things. Those are not unimportant questions, but Jesus never turned people away because of questions. I'm always struck in the Gospels, like and Jesus' response to people was always, as he says to you know uh, Nathaniel in, in John chapter one, come and see. So I would say, come and, come and see. Consider bringing that question to Jesus. One of the things I love about the Christian faith is that you don't have to have every question sorted out, out to come. You have to put your trust in Christ, but you can bring your questions is the first thing. So I would say, is it a question that holds you, is, really needs to hold you back, or can you bring it with you? Second thing I would say, if you feel it's one you do need to address before coming to Christ, what are you doing to sort it out? Because sometimes, I think as John said earlier, we can hide behind questions. You can have this little question that you keep, that's almost there as, as a bit like Linus's safety blanket in peanuts. You hold on to and go, well, I would become a Christian, but I've got this question, you see. Going, well, yeah, maybe you should do something about it. Do something about it. Talk to, if you've got Christian friends, ask them. Um, you know, you're watching the, the show here. I'm sure people can contact you guys at Philo Trust. Email in. There are other Christian organizations online. Solas, who I work for, you know, weekly we have people emailing us with their questions. We, we love to help you uh, with us. So get the questions sorted. Don't let it hold you back. Because if Jesus' claims are true, he is the greatest news ever. You know, it would be so sad to avoid discovering that and discovering that relationship with him because of some question that you, you could really have got the answer to. Thank you, Andy. Andy, if there's anyone now that says, hey, I, I want to become a follower of Jesus, what do they have to do? Can you help them to begin that journey? Yeah, so the, um, the, the, the kind of prayer that's not unique to us, uh, the prayer that I, you know, I always use when I'm sort of doing missions and things uh, is based around three words, sorry, thanks, and please. A really simple kind of three word kind of prayer that you can structure around. So yeah, you can pray and you can say, God, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. Uh, that I've messed up my life. I'm sorry that I've made myself the centre of, of my life and, and not you. Would you Would you please forgive me? So I'm sorry. Please, would you forgive me? Would you come into my life, fill me with your spirit and make me that, that new creation uh, that the Bible promises? Would you change me from the inside out? And uh, so sorry, please. And then finally, thank you. Thank you for dying for me and the person in Jesus. Thank you for inviting me to be a member of your family. Thank you for offering forgiveness. So put those three things together in a way that feels real to you. Put your own words around them, but hang them around sorry, thanks, and please. And then if you pray something along those lines, this is so important, tell somebody. Don't just keep it yourself. You know, you can't be a Christian in isolation. God doesn't ask us to be little lonesome Christians sitting there trying to struggle by on our own. Tell if you've got a Christian friend, tell them. If you've got a local church just down the street, try going, just go on a Sunday. Or again, if all else fails, reach out to these folks at Philo Trust or us at Solar. Tell somebody um, because that will then start you on that journey of following Christ and, and being connected to his family. Andy, that's very helpful. Would you also pray that prayer for those that would like to pray that prayer now? I would uh, be absolutely delighted to. So yeah, so uh, Father God, uh, just uh, sorry that uh, I have uh, messed up uh, my life, that we've messed up our lives, that we put ourselves uh, in the, on the throne of our lives, we've made ourselves centre, we've made ourselves the, the thing around which the whole universe revolves. I'm sorry for that. Thank you uh, that you loved us so much that you didn't leave us in that position that stepped into history and the person of Jesus dying there on a cross to take that baggage and mess from our lives and deal with it once and for all. And then please, would you fill me 
uh, with your spirit. Make me a new creation and adopt me into your family as a son or as a daughter. Sorry, thank you, and please. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, a prayer for you, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ and announce and pronounce his forgiveness over you. We pray that you will know his cleansing, we, that you would know his presence and his peace and his protection as you endeavour now to build your life on Jesus Christ. Amen. And the encouragement, you've already said it, Andy, but if we prayed a prayer like that and we want to sincerely follow Jesus, we really do need to feed on God's word. Yes, absolutely. We need to pray yep. and we need to find a church community. That's right. Those, those, those three things are great places. And probably, not necessarily 100%, but probably most people who are watching this who are not yet followers of Jesus, you have people in your lives who are, who are Jesus followers. There's been a way that you found this resource online. Talk to, talk to one of them, you know, because it's great. Go to a church where you know somebody already. But again, the, 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 what I love in today's day, day of the internet and connectivity, it's much easier to get plugged in. But yeah, get, get plugged in. If you haven't got a Bible, you know, open it, start reading. Uh, John's Gospel is a great one to start with. And try praying. The great thing about praying, there's no formula. You don't have to, you have to be articulate. You know, God just loves to hear from his children. Absolutely. So, yeah, read the Bible, pray, get plugged into a local church. And I liked it, Andy, when you said earlier on that uh, you went to Speaker's Corner, you tried to engage with people, you didn't know how to answer their questions. So you went away and read, went back again, and then, oh, there's new questions. So you went back and read. And I think that's, that's a real encouragement to all of us. God will use what we know, but let's keep learning. Absolutely. You know, one of my favourite texts in Scripture um, you know, First Peter three fifteen. Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have, and that be prepared. Um, you know, I often meet Christians, uh, John, who are perhaps in the workplace or at university. Say, so well, how how could I share my faith with my friends? You know, well, if they asked a question, I don't know the answer to. I want to say to them, well, hang on a minute. Who are you trusting for this? If you're trusting the Lord, Matthew twenty eight nineteen, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. You know, baptize them in the, name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is the key thing. And behold, I will be with you always to the end of the age. So God God is with us. Jesus is with us by his spirit. And yes, it might be scary. And you might get a question. You will get asked a question you don't know. But like I learned at Speaker's Corner, what a great opportunity to say to your friend, thank you for that brilliant question. May I go away and think about it? And I will get you an answer. And then obviously follow up on that. You know, Google it, read a book, talk to a friend, uh, you know, find the answer to their question. And whenever that's happened to me, the people you then you go back to in a week's time and say, hey, that question you asked last week, I did the work, I found the answer. You've shown that you value and respect them. And that actually often opens the doors as well. Andy, a joy to have you on Facing the Canon. Thank you for joining us. It's been great to be with you, John. Thank you. Thank you. I hope that has inspired you. Uh, I'm inspired. And uh, a great challenge to all of us, isn't it? To uh, think about what questions are people thinking and to find appropriate ways of articulating responses. Thank you so much for joining us on Facing the Canon. Please join us again. You've been listening to the J. John Podcast. To find out more about J. John's ministry, visit www.canonjjohn.com and follow him on social media.
One doctor developed the world's first vaccine. One civil rights activist helped to end racial segregation in the USA. One botanist developed new farming practices supporting impoverished farmers. One former slave escorted 300 others to freedom. One watchmaker saved the lives of 800 Jews and refugees during World War II. One politician persisted to see slavery legally abolished in the UK. Faith, love, generosity, sacrifice, perseverance. Heroes of the Faith, the new coffee table book by J. John. Available now at canonjjohn.com.